was talking to Jimmy Champagne, who is uh, busy moving right now, and uh, he called me last night and said that he would not be able to be here because he's moving uh, right now, cleaning his old house. And I told him, I said, you are my introduction. I said, and you're not going to be here. I said, but anyway, I was speaking with Jimmy just uh, a month or so ago, and so we were just talking about his responsibility at the school, and, and so I'm going to quote Jimmy Schambein. This is what Jimmy Schambein says. He says, children are our greatest commodity. And so what we were talking about is that they are our greatest resource that God has blessed us with. Children are the greatest resource that God has given us, the greatest gift and the blessing that God has given us, and, and, and there are so much, there's so much potential and calling that God's placed on our children, and God has given us the responsibility to nurture that. You know, children, children become our living legacy. Children are our legacy, and that's the title of my message. It's called Leaving a Godly Legacy, and children are our legacy. Children are our future. They are, they, they are our living legacy, and we as parents, grandparents, leaders, teachers, mentors, pastors, we have the responsibility and the privilege of influencing the revealing of a masterpiece in our children. And so this is, I'm not just speaking to biological parents or grandparents. I'm speaking to all of us as adults. We have a responsibility to the next generation. We are called as men and women, as adults, leaders and pastors and, and teachers and principals and and. And mentors, we're called, grandparents, parents, to, to shepherd the next generation. God has called our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, the, you know, the, the kids that are in our youth group. You know, Dominic, on Friday, he had what he called Viking night. So I was in my office uh, preparing on Friday afternoon, and I think it was around 4 o'clock, you, my, my office door was open, and so here comes Dominic walking in, and he has no shirt on with a, um, what do you call it? A fur, a fur cape. <laughs> no shirt on, fur cape, and a kilt. <laughs> this is your youth pastor. <laughs> Trust your kids with him. <laughs> but this was, a, this was an all-boy event. Who went to Viking night? How, how many went to Viking night? Can you give me a big Viking grunt if you went to Viking night? <laughs> okay, so there was a roasted hog, and there was blood, and there was hatchet throwing, and there was, what else, Dominic? Oh, man, uh, jousting, captured the flag with a hog head. <laughs> jousting, captured the flag with a hog head. Wow. <laughs> Eli Dishman told me a little bit about capture the flag with a hog head. Didn't you, didn't you put, like, little lights inside the, the hog head? Through the eye holes. <laughs> so this is at night. Can you imagine? Green lights, red lights. Wow. But you know what Dominic was doing with these other men? I think he had 21 boys that came and he had uh, 16 a- adult uh, chaperones. Because we need that many chaperones for Viking night. <laughs> and so, but it was great. And what that was, 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 was that that was mentoring. That was shepherding. That was pastoring. That was men getting manly with boys and, and, and bonding and connecting and and. and this is, this is what we're called to do. It, you know, there's some of you here, you, you have longed to, to have children, and God has not given you children yet. That does not mean that you cannot still be a mentor and, and someone who shepherds the next generation. We have such a great responsibility in, in, in that. Our children are our living legacy. And you know, this morning, uh, planning this message, we didn't 
plan that I would preach on children the day we would dedicate a baby. We didn't plan to uh, ha- preach a message on children whenever the Elevate Youth Band was going to lead worship. Just all happened that way by God's timing. And so we are a part of our DNA. Again, this is part of the, the DNA series. Part of our DNA at Living Word Church is that we want to champion the next generation. Whether we like it or not, you know, sometimes I feel like as parents, we don't like the idea of the kids taking over. But, you know, the kids right here, right, <laughs> 30-somethings are going to take over one, at one point in businesses, in churches, everywhere. They're going to start getting married. They're going to start having babies. The, look, the, the kids are our future, and a part of our DNA at Living Word is that we want to value them. We want to treasure them. We want to have a great, vibrant children's ministry, youth ministry. We want, we want to encourage them, train them, teach them about Christ and and. You know, I hate to say this, but, you know, there's a famous politician that once said that it takes a village. But she was right. It takes a village. It really does take a village. It takes all of us together to commit to say that we believe that children are a blessing from the Lord. That they are our future and we're going to commit together to encourage them, strengthen them, champion them. And that is our DNA as a part of our DNA. That was, that's been a part of the DNA of this church. This is one of the reasons why this church has thrived is because we have had that legacy and we're going to continue that legacy. The sobering reality on the flip side of this is that there's another, um, just like marriage is under attack, there's another attack and it's on our children. Our children are under attack. The sobering reality is that God is not the only one with a plan for our children. He's not the only one. Satan himself hates the seed of woman. He wants to destroy every image bearer of God that he possibly can. He has a plan. He has an attack. And if you're raising kids right now, you know your kids are in the crosshairs. I have this quote. This is from a a desiringgod.org blog. Guy named Jonathan Par- Parnell. Listen to what he says. Listen to how he frames this attack on our kids. He says, Whether we look back over the pages of world history or just around us for today, the point bears true. Children are so often caught in the crossfire, so often hurt, so often the victims of a larger conflict in which they have no say, no influence, and no responsibility. It happened back when primitive peoples thought slaying their children would appease gods. And when war meant burning homes and sacking villages. It happens still today when deranged citizens carry guns into schools. Or when abortion clinics welcome terrified teenagers with open arms. The demonic powers hate children. They hate babies because they hate Jesus. When they destroy the least of these, the most vulnerable among us, they're destroying a picture of Jesus himself. And every time we move forward as faithful parents, mentors, grandparents, leaders, pastors, every time we move forward, we are wrestling demons. We're wrestling against the enemy because there is little the enemy hates more than little children. I think he framed it so well for us. That's where we are. That is the reality that we live in. You know, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Listen to what God's word says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Where's our battle? We're not fighting people. For the weapons 
of our warfare are not in the flesh, not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And where are the strongholds? What does the enemy try to do to our children? What is he trying to go after? What is he after with our kids, with the next generation? He's after their thoughts. He's after the way they view the world. He wants them to see the world in a way that is not biblical. He wants them to see the world in a way that doesn't line up with the created order and how God established marriage and family. He wants to change their affections. He wants to change what they love. And that's what he goes after. Let's go back to the text. So what are the, what are the, 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 the strongholds that we destroy? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to obey Christ. That's where the war is waged. In our personal life, in our marriages, with, with, and with our children. The, the enemy is after their mind, after their thoughts. He wants them to value things that are not godly. He wants them to be led astray by, by peer pressure. He wants, them to, he wants them to adopt the value system of hell. And to reject the value system of heaven and God's word. He's after them. And look, it is a relentless attack. It never stops. So in light of these realities, in light of of that reality, and whether we like it or not, that is the reality. And if you're a parent here this morning, you're a leader, a mentor, a grandparent, you cannot hide your head in the sand that's concerning our kids. You can't do it. You cannot just say they'll be okay. You can't just say they're going to make it okay. No, you have to, you have to look up, you have to see, you have to be aware, you have to be engaged. Because if you're not engaged, if we are not, if we are not engaged as parents and grandparents and leaders and pastors and mentors, somebody's going to train our kids. Somebody will. There are plenty of voices that are clamoring for their ears. They want their ears and their eyes. And we have to fight to be the loudest voice. Got to fight to be the most influential voice. And you know the truth is, studies prove it, that parents are the most influential voice in their kids' lives. It's true. Some of you maybe think that cannot be true. Some of you have teenagers and you think, I know it's not true. But it's true. Sometimes your kids may make you feel like that that you're not the most influential voice, but you are. You are. So in light of these realities, I have... Four commitments. I see four commitments that we have to have concerning our children. Not just our biological kids, but our children. What are commitments we need to have as a church, as a body of Christ, as parents, grandparents, leaders, mentors, pastors? What are the commitments we must have? The first commitment is this, is we must see our children as a blessing from the Lord. I mean, that's, that's square one. That's foundational. We have to see our children as a blessing from the Lord. They, they, they are blessings from God. You know, a generation ago, kids were necessary for families to survive. You needed to have large kids because you had, you, had, you had how many acres to take care of and, and, and crops to grow. And you needed kids to harvest the, the crops so you could provide for your family. And kids were necessary to the family for survival. Nowadays, kids are viewed as a hindrance for forward progress. Kids are not viewed as a necessity. They're viewed as a burden. They hinder what, what the direction of my life is. And this is what I talked about last week as I was ending the message talking about kids. This is the, this is the idea. This is the, per, the prevailing idea in our culture. 
The idea is, hey, wait as long as you can to have children because you need to live your life. Enjoy your life. I speak to all the kids that are in here this morning, the young people. You know, there are things that you can accomplish, things that you can do before you have kids. And, and, that, that, and that, a part of that is, is true. But God designed children to be such a special blessing through, through a covenant marriage, through a marriage vow, that all of the things that you could accomplish and do, the things that you could do in your life that you, you, that you would think I could not do, that I'll be having fun before I have my kids, none of those compare to the moment that you lay eyes on a child that God has blessed you with. I will never, ever forget the birth of all of my children. It was one of the most precious times of my life. You know, Estelle is doing what women do. They have kids. <laughs> They're in pain. And us husbands, we, God bless us with the easy job because he knew that if we had pain in childbirth that the human race would have ceased to exist. <laughs> he knew that to be true because us men, we are all wimps. You get a man sick, the world's about to end. Isn't that true, men? Get a man sick. And every, you're just about to die. You got a little cold, a little fever, but that's how it is, right? So my wife is doing what she's doing, and I just cannot quit smiling. When I lay hands, when, when I lay eyes on that precious life. I remember when my firstborn born Joel was born. I mean, it just, it, I, I just wish I could go back to that moment. I guess that's why I had another child. I had a deep wish to go back to that moment. It's so precious. He's, they are so beautiful and precious. And when my precious Eliana was born, such a precious moment. And so there's nothing you could do in life as a single person that compares to the joy of having a child, a blessing from God. So we have to see our children as a blessing. We have to see our children as a blessing. The obvious biblical and simple picture, the obvious and simple biblical picture of children or that they are a natural result of God's design for marriage. It's the natural result. It is abnormal for people to come together in marriage and to wait, if they can have kids, to wait 10, 15 years. Say, well, we're, we're just going to wait. We're in our 20s. We're going to wait till we're in, in our 30s. It is natural for us to come together to have children. Look what Psalms 127 says. This is what we ended with last week. Psalms 127, 3, three through 5. It says this, Behold, listen. Behold, listen, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. A reward. We are rewarded by God with children. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They're a blessing. Children are a blessing. And so if we're going to talk about children and who they are and our responsibilities and our commitments, this is where we have to start. We have to start with this reality, with this truth that children are a blessing. They are not a burden. They are not a hindrance. Sexual immorality and the increase of that in our culture and in our society since the 60s and the 70s as it increased in our culture. And the need to live how you want to live, the desire to live how you want to live in our culture has got our culture and our society to a place concerning unborn children that is worse than in in, in any time in history. And the abortion of children is a reflection on our belief as American culture that children are a burden. And And it hinders us from living how we want to live. 
And it is, it is a shame on our country and on us as a people. We have to believe children are a blessing. Second commitment. We must train our children in the ways of the Lord. We must train our children in the ways of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 gives us a picture of what it looks like to train our kids. Let's read this in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So here's the picture. The Lord is telling the children of Israel, these words shall be on your heart as parents. And this is what you're to do with what is on your heart. You shall teach your children diligently. Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. What does that, what does that look like? That means that you, you, you teach them when you're sitting down. How, how, how can you teach your kids God's ways when you're sitting down? You know, sometimes when you're sitting down watching TV and, and you see a commercial that comes on and it's valuing things that aren't godly, that are against God's ways, what do you do? You stop, you pause, you turn off, you change the channel, and then you look at your kids. This is wrong, and I want to tell you why it's wrong. This is why this is wrong. Because this is what God's word says. And this is why this is the wrong direction for your life. You do it while you're sitting down. You do it while you walk by the way. While you're walking with your kids to school, while you're walking with your kids to the park, everywhere you go, you do it while you walk by the way. You do it when you lie down at night, when you're bringing your kids to bed. You do it when you rise, when you wake up. So what, what's, what's going on here? What's the picture here? What's the Lord, how is he describing parenting? What is the Lord telling the nation of Israel about parenting? This is what he's telling them. There are no coffee breaks or vacation, vacations in parenting. That's what he's saying. It's when you rise up. It's when you, when you lie down. When you rise up. It's when you walk on the way. It's when you're sitting down to eat. It's, it's when you're watching television. It's when you're playing sports. It's, it's everywhere, every time. Parenting is a full-time job. How many parents can agree? How many grandparents that babysit kids can agree? Amen. Thank God for good, for good grandparents. All you grandparents, I, I love you. I love, my, I love the grandparents. I got a great-grandparent right here, Estelle's dad, E.J. Foray. On the, he is a super grandpa. What a man. I'm, I, actually, you know, how, you know how sometimes kids try to move away from their, from their in-laws, try to move away from, from their parents? I'm trying to move closer. <laughs> I'm trying to get as close to that man and, and, that, and, and my mother-in-law as I can. And they're such a blessing, right? I pray for health over them. Amen. Because it's a full-time job, parents. We need some help. It's a, full-time, it's a full-time job that requires every bit of our commitment and, intention, and intentionality. It requires every bit of our commitment. Parenting is not for wimps. It's not for wimps. It's not for those who still think that life is about themselves. It's not for you. So if, you're that, if you are that 20-something and you haven't gotten over yourself yet, I do encourage you to wait. Get, get, get over yourself and your fleshly desires that life is about you, then have some babies with a wife or with a husband. It's not for those who still think life is about themselves. Training our children in the ways of the Lord is comparable. Listen to this. Training our children in the ways of the Lord is comparable to standing watch while your fellow soldiers are sleeping. You cannot let your guard down. You can't do it. 
You can't let your guard down. Every moment is a teaching moment. Every moment is an opportunity for you to train your child in the ways of the Lord. You know, and the nation of Israel, as the Lord wrote this to them, as the Lord spoke this to them, you know, the nation of Israel was surrounded by pagan nations. They were surrounded by nations that did not honor the Lord. And this is why the Lord is telling them this. He's saying, you have to be proactive. Parenting is not a part-time job. You have to be proactive in teaching them, teaching your children my ways. Because if you don't, if you don't do it, if you're not diligent, a generation down the road can lose it. They can lose it. They can forget the ways of the Lord. And this is a warning that the nation, that God was giving the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, they were living in the midst of paganism. And this is what happens one generation later. Let's fast forward from Deuteronomy to Judges 2. And I just want to read. It's a little lengthy section, but I want you to hear it. I want you to feel it. One generation later, how did Israel do? Let's see how they did. And when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance. So now you go from Deuteronomy, pre-promised land, now you're in the promised land. And they take the inheritance and take possession of the land, and the people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua. That generation passes away. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done in, in Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. The generation is gone. So what, what, what happened? They buried him. Let's go to verse 10. And all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And, those, and there arose, here's the next generation, another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What happened? What happened? There was a failure. There was a disconnect. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the, and the Asherah. One generation later, this is the warning in Deuteronomy 6. He's trying to warn the nation of Israel. He's trying to warn the parents, you have to be diligent. You have to be proactive. You have to teach them because the pagan nations, the pagan people, the people that don't believe in me, don't believe in my ways, they, are, they will try to infiltrate your homes. They will try to get into the ears of your kids and they will try to go after their hearts and they will pull them away from the gods of your fathers. And you have to. To teach them diligently. And the, and the truth is, the culmination of all of that is Judges 21, 25. And I believe that this is a picture of America right now. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's where, that's where we are. That is the motto of our country. Do what is right in your own eyes. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel like that you're affirmed, however you want to live, if it's right in your own eyes, if you think that it's good, you think that it's true, you think that it's right, nobody has the right to tell you how to live. That's the motto of our culture. Christianity, what does Christianity say? Christianity says we have, we have a divinely inspired scripture revealed from God that teaches us Everything we need to know about marriage, about family, about morals, about right and wrong. God has revealed that and given, to that, given that to us and set it in our hearts. And that runs contrary to the picture of our culture. Dr. James Dobson says this about what I'm speaking of. 
He says, traditional Judeo-Christian values literally hang in the balance in America. They can be forgotten in a single generation, just like we read in Scripture. They can be forgotten in a single generation, and our kids can go and do whatever they want, whatever they think pleases them in their own eyes. It can be gone in a single generation if they are not taught to children and teenagers. It could happen here if we don't defend what we believe. And that is our responsibility as parents, as mentors, as pastors, as leaders. We have to be diligent to teach our kids. We have to be diligent to, to, to teach our kids. So I've got a question for you. What do you believe? What do you believe is the most impactful way to teach our children? You can talk to me. It's okay on Sunday. I know we talk a lot on, on Wednesday. Freddie, what do you think is the most impactful way to teach our children? Did you look at my notes? Here's my third point. As leaders, as pastors, as mentors, grandparents, we must live lives that are worthy to be modeled. It's the third commitment. Look, we know it's true. We all do. That our kids do not become what we tell them to become. They become who we are. We have to live in ways that demonstrate to him that we believe what we say we believe. You know, it's one thing to tell your kids to not do things that they shouldn't do. It's one thing to tell your kids that you value God's word and and you believe that, 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 that this is right and this is wrong. But if they see you in your life go opposite of that and go in a direction that doesn't line up with God's word, that speaks louder than anything you could ever say. Who you are, the way you live matters to your kids. We must live lives that are worthy to be modeled. You know, there's a prayer that I pray often in our pastoral staff meetings. I always kind of end with this prayer as we're praying. We're praying for the church. We're praying for you guys. We're praying for the Holy Spirit's power to move among his people. And then I always like to pray this because it is a reminder for myself and for all the pastors. This is what I say. I say, I say God, I pray that you would help me. And you would help us as pastors to live lives that are worthy to be followed. Help us to live lives that people can look at us and can say, I'm going to follow that man because he's following the Lord. The Apostle Paul said that. 1 Corinthians 11.1, this is what he says. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And that is our responsibility and our role as parents. We're, we, yes, we are to teach them God's word. We are to teach them the words of God. But we are to teach the most powerful example. And the way we teach them is by how we live. By how we live. And we say, look, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm following Christ in my life. And I'm demonstrating to you, young men, how a husband loves his wife. And I'm demonstrating to you, young women, how a woman loves her husband. And I'm demonstrating to you, young men and women, what it looks like to work hard, to be diligent, to be faithful. I'm living, I, I want to be a living example. We need to be living examples to the next generation of what it looks like to live a life for the glory of God. That is the greatest way that any of us as parents, grandparents, leaders, elders, pastors, mentors can influence the next generation, how we live. I just want to say this. It's not about perfection. I'm not telling you you have to be perfect parents, perfect people, because we all know that's impossible. What I'm telling you is, is that in every way you teach your kids. So when you fail, parents, do you fail? Grandparents, do you fail? Yeah, we all fail. 
Well, what, do you, what do you do in failure? What do you do when you've, when you've blown it with your kids? Do you just say, well, I'm the boss. It doesn't matter. I don't have to apologize. You know, what, you, 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 what you're going to do if you do that is you're going to teach your kids to never own up. Never own up when you're wrong. Because I saw my dad. He never, owned, he never said he was sorry, right? I'm not saying that about my, about my dad. But I'm just saying that's what they'll think of you. If you're a, of you as a parent. You have to own up. I remember, I remember uh, a while back. Uh, my kids will remember this story. We went tent camping. And it was in Mississippi. And uh, we, we had a schedule that we wanted to keep. We wanted to be there before it got dark. Because all skilled tent campers know that if you don't get there before dark, that you will have a very challenging time to put a tent up. So this is the summer, this is mosquitoes, and it's nighttime, and we're, excuse me, we get there late, and we're trying to figure out what are we going to do. And so um, I I just was frustrated from the get-go. So we show up at the tent site, and I have to use the, the light from the vehicle to shine to help me out. And the kids are unloading stuff, and I'm trying to put together this tent. And I just have to say, I, I blew it. I bl- I'm not cursing, but boy, the cursing was in my heart. I mean, it, I mean man, I was Christian cursing. <laughs> it was bad. I just was so frustrated. I, I, I just, I, you know, I was rude to my kids, rude to my wife. I just was like frustrated. I'm trying to fumble with, the, with all of it and and in the middle of all of it, my sweet Eliana, she must have been, she's 10 years old now, she must have been six or seven, I don't know, five, whatever she was, and, and this is what she tells me. She says, Daddy, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. <laughs> it gets dangerous when you teach your kids what God's word says, because <laughs> then they can use it against you. And she used it against me. And it was like a knife in my heart. And I knew she was right. And I knew I was a fool. And my, my wife came up to me. And she said, Ben, why don't you use the instructions? <laughs> and it's true. It's exactly what she said. Why don't you use the instructions? And sure enough, I was setting it up wrong. And after I read the instructions, we worked together. And it's supposed to be like a five-minute tent pop-up, right? It seats like 15 people or something. It's supposed to be up in five minutes. And sure enough, it was. After we filed the instructions. And so what did I do? I had a choice to make. What was I going to do? I could have just ignored that I was rude and mean and irritable. But I owned it. We got in the tent. It's that night. The whole family's there. And I apologize. I'm sorry. Daddy's wrong. I should not have said that. I should not have reacted that way. That's not how a godly man acts. It's not how a good man acts. So, that, so that's what it means. You, you, take, you take your failures You take good times, bad times, work them all together, and you use them as examples to our kids. We will never be perfect as parents. It's impossible. We're going to make mistakes as parents, but our mistakes are also modeling opportunities. We model what is right, good, and true. That's what we do. We model what's right, good, and true, but we also model how to own up to mistakes and failures. We demonstrate what it looks like to seek forgiveness. That is such a good example for our kids you, you, it is so good, especially with husbands and wives, that you would teach your kids how to ask for forgiveness. Whenever you know you've been rude to their mom or you've been rude to their dad, ask for forgiveness in front of the kids. Tell them, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you kids for how I talked to your mom, how I treated her. Man, that speaks volumes to your children. We must live lives that are worthy to be modeled. That's how we're going to impact our kids. We have to make a commitment. Kids are a blessing and not a burden. 
We have to be diligent to teach them. It's not a part-time job. It's a full-time responsibility. And we have to live lives that are worthy to be modeled. And lastly, the fourth commitment is this, is we must empower our children to live lives for the glory of God. We must empower our children to live lives for the glory of God. I want to read a scripture to you that I believe is probably one of the most misinterpreted scriptures as concerning children. It's a scripture that brings hope and it's a scripture that brings pain to parents. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I think there are two positions that we take as concerning that scripture as parents. First one is this. If we're a parent of young children, we cling desperately to the hope that our younger kids will not depart from the truth when they're older. We read that and we say, I'm clinging to that verse. I want to believe that that's true, that when they're older, they're not going to depart. And if you're a younger parent here, you cling, you cling to that with all of your heart. But the other position we take is if you have adult kids, teenager kids, adult kids, and they've wandered from the truth, this is what you do. You live with a sense of guilt. You live with a sense of guilt. You look at that scripture, and this is what you say. You say, I, what did I do wrong? How did I blow it? Hey, I, I did it. I was diligent. I taught, them, I taught them the word. I did everything that I knew to do to raise them to follow God, and they're not following God. So we look at that verse, and we say, it must be me. I blew it. I failed. That's the truth. Those are the two positions that we take with that verse. You know, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll, really famous godly preacher, pastor, this is what he says about that verse. He says, this is kind of the typical interpretation. He says, be sure your kids attend Sunday school and church regularly. Teach your children to know and obey the Ten Commandments. Teach them to pray at mealtime, bedtime. And be sure to feed them a steady diet of Bible verses. Do this early on because, watch out, teenage rebellion where they will sow a lot of wild oats, will detour their spiritual journey. When their fling is over, they'll come back to God. You can count on it because this verse has God's promise on it. That's the typical interpretation. So I've done study on this verse long before this message. And so as I was leading into this message, I knew I wanted to bring some some clarity to that verse, especially for the ones here this morning. I know know you're here. You're here, you, you, you live with a sense of guilt because you feel like, what did I do wrong? I, I, I followed it, Lord. So the first thing you got to think of is the book of Proverbs. What is the book of Proverbs? The book of Proverbs is a book that is a book of contrast. It contrasts the way of wisdom versus the way of the fool. The way of wisdom versus the way of the fool. And this is what it does. It says, look, you're a fool if you go this way and you're wise if you go the right way. And that's the core of this verse. It's saying that if you believe, the idea is if you believe that you don't have to be intentional, you don't have to train your kids to, to, to follow Christ, you don't have to bring in the church, you don't have to do anything as a believer, you're a fool if you think that, that you can do that and your kids will end up being missionary pastors. You're foolish if you think that. If, if, if our kids are going to love the Lord and follow after God, the, big, a big, the greatest influence in that is how we teach them and how we raise them. So that's, that's the first picture of, of, of that verse. It's, it's not an ironclad promise that if you train your kids this perfect way, this perfect system, that they will not stray away. Because a lot of you in here, you know that your kids have strayed away. 
and you think maybe I've blown it. The, the next thing we have to look at is the word way. Train up a child in the way he should go. So there's two meanings. There's two meanings for, the, for that word way in the original language of Proverbs 22.6. The first meaning of, the, of that word way gives the picture of, of a fixed way. Where we would say, follow this way. Follow this path. Train up a child in the way he should go. Follow this path. Go this way. This is the direction you should go. That's, that's the one meaning for that word way. The, the other meaning for, for the word way gives a picture of, of the word. It has the word characteristics or manner of life. So here's, here's the full picture of train up a child in the way he should go. It means this. Yes, train up your child in the right way, in the right path. Train them. Point. This is the right way. This is right. This is wrong. But secondly, train them up in the way he should go. Who are your kids? How has God gifted them? What are their characteristics? What, are the, what is the manner of their life? So we say to them, follow this way. But we also say to them, I see God has gifted you in this way. And I'm going to train you in this way. I'm going to empower you to live a life for the glory of God. It's, it's speaking of intentionality. That we are intentional in teaching them the right path. But we are intentional in knowing our kids. Who are, who are our kids? How has God wired them? How has God gifted them? What is their makeup? Who has God created them to be as image bearers of God? We must know them. We are called as parents to train our children to follow the ways of God. But we are also called as parents to be close enough to our children to see and recognize the ways in which God has gifted them, to empower them to live lives for the glory of God. That's our, that's, that's our calling. That's what God's called us to do. We, we must see kids as a blessing. We must teach them the ways of God. We must model what we teach. And then lastly, we must empower our kids. We must see who God has made them to be. You know, I, I, I remember when I was a kid, I remember the first time I felt called to be a pastor was 11, 12 years old. And I remember the encouragement from my parents in that direction. You know, there's things that we notice with our kids that other people don't notice. Giftings and leanings and qualities and talents. And that's what the picture of in Psalm 127 is. Parents, a, a husband and a wife, a mother and father. We're, we, we, we've got arrows in our quiver. And we take that arrow, that child... We teach them the right way to go. We, we put the arrow in the bow. We point that arrow in the right direction. Not only in the ways of God, but in the way that God's gifted them. And we are used to empower them, to release them, to live lives for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to do something special here this morning. I want to pray for our kids. We also didn't plan that the fifth Sunday, all the, you know, like, I, we didn't plan to preach this message on the fifth Sunday when all the, the children uh, four years and older would be in here. Just so happened this way. And so I felt like the Lord set it up for us to do something special. And I, I, I wrote a prayer. I left it down here. I'm going to get the prayer. It's on a card underneath my seat. And I, I printed 400 of these prayers. So as you leave, if you would like to take this prayer, that I, that I wrote for our kids, for all of our kids. You can take it with you. There'll be people as you leave. So this is what I want to do. I want every child to have a hand on them from an adult. If, you're, if it's your kids that are here, lay hands on them. If, if, you're grand, if you are grandparents and you're here with your grandkids, but I want everyone, find, find kids. 
If it's your kids, your grandkids, if you see kids with no hands on them, put your hands on them. And kids, that means uh, 17 and younger. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. That's, that's the adult kids too. Lay, lay hands on those adult kids. Amen. You lay hands on Jacob. Come on, man. Lay hands. We lay hands on our kids. And this is what we're going to do. I'm going to lay hands on my kids and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray this prayer. Lord, I thank you for blessing me with children. Blessing us with children. I pray that you would help me, help us to always see our children as gifts from you. When life gets busy and my schedule is full, I pray for the strength and conviction to parent my children in ways that honor you. Lord, help me as a parent to be patient and gentle. Help me to be quick to admit when I'm wrong. Help me to model Christ's likeness in my home. Help me to prioritize spending quality time with them. Lord, I pray for my children. I pray that they would make Jesus the Lord of their life. I pray that the things of this world would not grip their hearts. Help them to resist the enemy. Help them to resist the constant barrage of lies that come at them from every direction. The enemy is after their affections. Lord, I pray that their precious hearts would be protected. Help them to cast down every argument that is raised up against the knowledge of God. Lord, by your grace, draw them to yourself. Lord, help my children to stand for what is right when everyone else is going the opposite way. Give them the power to live in ways that are pleasing to you. Lord, help them to have eyes for the broken and the outcast. Help them to be kind when everyone else is hateful. Help them to not worry about the praise of man, but to live their lives for an audience of one. Lord, I thank you for who you have created my children to be. Help me to recognize and affirm the giftings and callings you've placed on their lives. Use them for your glory to point others to Christ. Give them enough success to be certain of your love for them. Enough favor to be aware of your kindness, but enough humility to know that they can do nothing worthwhile without you. Thank you for our children. We are humbled that you would entrust these precious gifts into our care. I pray that this generation of young people would be shining lights in their world as they point others to the power of the gospel. And everybody says, amen. Amen. Amen.